45 sermons so far, and this will make 46 that we've spent in this letter. It's a very deep letter, as you no doubt have realized and know. I believe this letter was a sermon, though, so this was meant to be preached out loud. But for one reason or another, the pastor who authored it was not able to be there with his church and preach it, so he wrote it and sent it to a messenger and said, pretend like I'm preaching this to you, I need you to know some things. I I think, though, this whole letter could be summarized like this. He's saying, Jesus Christ is greater. He's greater than what? Everything. Greater than who? Anyone. These people that he wrote to, they needed to be reminded of that. Because they needed to keep in their minds how much greater and superior Jesus is so they could press on. The temptation for them was to slow down, let off the gas, not follow Jesus as passionately. Their situation was under persecution of various forms, physically, emotionally, society, financially. And the temptation would be for them to sort of hide away who Jesus really is to them. Go back to the old way of life. Remember, these were Jews, ethnic Jews most likely. And so their friends, their family, their communities are not happy that these fellow countrymen Jews have now professed Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. Not everybody's going to be on board with that. So there's a ton of pressure on them. And here their pastor said in all this letter, don't give up on Jesus though. And if you remember, it's obvious in this letter, he loved the Old Testament. He went through the Old Testament all different times, talking about all kinds of different themes, Moses and Aaron and the priest, the covenant, and every point was just simply to say this, Jesus was greater than that Old Testament person or thing, and he fulfilled it in a greater way. For example, the Old Testament was all about the old covenant. But he says, you know what? Jesus came and he brought in a new covenant. This new covenant is eternal. It never stops. It's not temporary. It cleanses beyond the outer. It cleanses the soul on the inside. Jesus is a greater high priest, he said, who offered up his own body as the sacrifice for sins. Jesus didn't bring some goat and sacrifice it for your sins. He brought himself and sacrificed it for your sins. And then he used his own blood, so to speak, and ushered into that heavenly temple and sort of sprinkled his own blood. And this sounds weird, but his point was to purify a path for you and I to go to God and actually be in his presence. Remember, as sinners, we can't naturally in and of ourselves, be in the presence of God. Someone has to provide a path for us. Our sins have to be cleansed. They have to be forgiven. And in this letter, he kept saying, Jesus has done that. He covered your sins past, present, and future for all eternity. And that means that one day you and I will enjoy the presence of God for all eternity. Not because of who you are or who I am, We will not stand before God and say, I deserve to be here or I earned my right to be here. That's impossible. It can only be because you stand before God and say, because of what Jesus did for me, because of who he is to me, I'm clothed in his righteousness. Therefore, I'm able to be here. That's his point in this letter. Don't give up on Jesus. Look at what all he's done for you. Look at who he is. Another way to think about it, there's no higher person, no higher purpose No higher plan you could follow with your life than to follow Jesus Christ. So he wants to encourage them. Here in the end of this section, I thought about how to tie this together. He gives uh, five points here we'll talk about quickly this morning. And here's what I want us to think about. I think what he's doing is he's giving them a final encouragement to carry on. 
When we look at these five things, that's kind of how I'm going to tie them together. They're encouragements he's going to give as he closes out this sermon to say, look, carry on because of this, this, and this. There's a final encouragement. He has said this before that they need to carry on, but here he's sort of saying in his sermon, now in conclusion, and he kind of wraps it all up with these five encouragements. So I want to look at that under that context this morning. As we leave this letter, I hope you've enjoyed it, I have, but it's very deep, I know, but let's just leave with looking at how he closed out and said, let me just encourage you, church, with some simple things to think about as we leave this. If you would stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's word, let's look at Hebrews 13, 22 through 25. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send your greeting, send you greetings. Grace be with you all. Let me pray for a moment. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the, the joy of Hebrews as deep and challenging at times as this letter is. Thank you, Lord, that we have a letter like this, though, that I, I pray it's, for it's done for everyone here what it's done for me, that it's just given us a refresher at a deeper level of how wonderful, glorious Jesus is how beautiful of a Savior He is, how that there's no other person or plan or anything we could follow in life that would be considered greater of Jesus Christ. That only in Jesus Christ is our purpose in life really unlocked. Only in Jesus can we find that peace and fulfillment to live a life knowing we are Your children. And I help ask now, Lord, that You help us all understand this final tr encouragements that He gives to his people as we close out the letter. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Let's look at these five encouragements he gives to close out his sermon. The first one I'll call, it's the encouragement to endure preaching. I think you'll love this one. Look at verse 22. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, and the indications, brothers and sisters, everybody in the church here he wrote to, he asked them something. He says, uh, I appeal to you. And it, the word appeal is actually a very passionate plea. It's almost like he's begging them. I, I need something from you. I'm begging something from you. And here's what he asks. Endure or bear with my word of exhortation. What's interesting is that phrase bear with is a command form. So he's giving a final command, so to speak. And the command is simply, hey, I need you to do something for me. And what I need you to do for me is endure my sermon. That's quite literally what he's saying here. Endure my preaching, endure my sermon here. This, this word exhortation in the New Testament was used commonly to speak of preaching. And we have other writings outside the Bible from the first few hundred years of church history ever since this was written and beyond. This same word is typically always used to refer to the format of their church services. They would have a public reading of scripture followed by the pastor or some preacher giving, and they would always say this phrase, word of exhortation. It was a sermon. That's all it was. It's just another phrase for a sermon. They would explain the passage that was read, and they would exhort. You could think of that as to really encourage, to push along, to explain the meaning of the passage and use that to then push the people, exhort them to apply it in their lives and carry it out in their daily lives. So he says here, another phrase is just simply, this is a sermon. I've written to you this sermon. Now my final ask of you as we close it out, can you endure it? Can you bear with my sermon? And I'm getting this point here. He's giving them an encouragement to endure preaching. 
in 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul says to Timothy, until I come, devote yourself. So Timothy's another pastor, preacher here. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. So there's the idea I shared with you. And then the same phrase, and the exhortation in the teaching. So Timothy was commanded by Paul in another church he was at, hey, do this as well. You read the Scriptures and you exhort the people. You give them a message from it. You share God's Word with the people so they can use it in their lives. But here in Hebrews, though, I just find it interesting, as a fellow pastor here, he is saying to his congregation, can you please put up with my sermon? Can you bear it? Can you endure my sermon? Um, in a sense, he's saying, I beg of you as your pastor, put up with my preaching. Now, why is he saying that? I think because he knows this message in particular, it's very hard to handle. This letter's deep. And like I told you, it's just a sermon. So in theory, he would have preached this in person to his church. If you read this letter, it would take you about 45, 50 minutes, depending on how fast you read. So this was a 45, 50 minute sermon, maybe more. And it is incredibly deep. I mean, we've spent, what, 46 messages now in this. That's 46 weeks of looking at this. And he would have preached this in 45 or 50 minutes and said, can you put up with this, please? Bear with this. It's deep in its truth. It's probably hard for the mind to fully comprehend. It's also probably hard for them to endure because of the impact on their, their heart. It's, it's convicting. It's moving in some very hard ways. And he's saying to them, I know that this message was difficult. I know it may be hard to hear some of its truths, not just mentally, but in your heart to use it and follow it. But endure it. Will you put up with it? First Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I want to read to you what Paul also said to Timothy as a pastor he's supposed to do. He says, the spirit says expressly in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. So notice that some people who claimed faith in Jesus will abandon Jesus. They'll leave by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, uh, who forbid marriage and require absence from foods and God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth for everything God created by God is good and nothing to be rejected is to be received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Now, I didn't put that in there and I failed to do that. But Paul is saying here to Timothy, if you keep reading, he then encourages Timothy because of those things. He says, now, Timothy, here's what you do. You continue on to preach and teach the word of God to God's people. That's the charge. I share that with you for this reason. I, I sympathize with what he says here to them, because what he's really saying, to be blunt, is I know that sometimes to sit and listen to just being taught and being fed and to listen to sermons, it can be difficult. I think he's acknowledging that. It's difficult to endure that. Sometimes the truth is too hard to understand. It's over the head or, or it's not hard to understand, but it's hard to just say, well, I don't, I don't, this is too convicting. I don't want to deal with that right now. It's difficult. But he's encouraging them to say, listen, but here's the thing. God has put pastors and preachers in the life of his church all over the world for that task of helping them understand God's word so they can live God's word and honor him with their lives. Because of that, then he says, there's the encouragement. Endure it. Bear with it. Put up with it, we could say. Why? Because of the benefits. Yes, it's difficult. I mean, think about this. You could have been doing other things this morning. Time to come here, sing some songs, sing some songs, and now you're just sitting down and you're expected just to sit and listen. Nobody likes to do that. Let's do that. It's difficult, but there's a payoff. If someone like does what he says, they can endure that. 
they gain understanding of God's word so they can grow, they can live God's word, be encouraged by it. That's what he says to them in Hebrews 13, 22. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, bear, put up with, endure my sermon because there's a payoff to you. But the encouragement is for Christians to do that. Whenever God's word is being put out, my, myself included, when I go to pastor's conferences, I do my best to sit there and there must be something I need to know and I'm trying to listen. I'm not trying to critique. I know that's hard, but I'm just trying to listen and learn. And that's what he's getting at here. There's a payoff if you'll endure it. I love, though, what he says at the end of this verse. Because or for I have written to you briefly. Briefly literally means short. It literally means I've used few words to give you this message. But I told you if you read it, it'd take you about 45 minutes. So I just want to say this to you. If you think I preach too long, just remember this phrase. I have preached to you briefly. That'll be my last comment on that. So it could always, I think what he's saying is brief in the sense that there's more he could have said, but he didn't. There's a lot more truth, but he said, this is enough. I've stopped it here. I've preached to you briefly. Endure what I've given you right now. So that's the encouragement that he leaves God's people, the encouragement to carry on. How do we carry on? And again, it sounds weird, but by enduring the preaching of God's word, letting it soak in, even though it's hard to either understand or to live, he says, endure it. And there's a payoff. There's an encouragement to carry on. The next encouragement, he says, be encouraged that God is working in others. Look at verse 23. Now you should know, again, talking to the church here, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Timothy is the Timothy from First and Second Timothy. That guy, Paul's apprentice. And that guy has obviously been out boldly preaching the gospel, serving Christ to the degree that he got put in jail. That's this phrase, been released. He's been released from prison. So here he's giving them an encouragement. And I said the phrase, the encouragement is see that God is working in other people. Here's why I say it that way. He's talking about Timothy, a fellow brother in the Lord, not just a fellow brother, but a pastor, a preacher, a minister. He says, look what God's doing in his life. He's been released from prison. God is still working in him. God is still using him. But not only that, there's another thing about Timothy that I think is very awesome. Timothy was accused by Paul before Paul died. Paul accused Timothy in a polite way. He was being too shy about Jesus. He was being too shy about being a pastor. Paul said, you need to be bolder, Timothy. Let me read that to you. In, in 2 Timothy 1, 6, this was Paul's last letter we have written before he was killed. And he wrote it to Timothy, this guy. And he said, for this reason, I remind you, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He means his ministry. Timothy, fan it into flame. You can picture the little coals of a fire that have burned out. Sometimes if you know what you're doing, I don't, but you can do little techniques and blow on them and put different things on the little coals and you can get the fire back going again. He's saying to Timothy, Timothy, you've let the, that flame, that fire as a minister grow cold. It's just little embers burning now. You need to fan it back into flame because in verse 7, God has given us a spirit not of fear. So I take that to mean Timothy was being timid. Too timid. Paul says, Timothy, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power, self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. So in some sense, previously, Timothy had been so shy about the gospel and his ministry, Paul had to say that to him. Timothy, 
Don't live in fear and stop acting like you're ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only that, Paul says, don't be ashamed of me, Paul, as a prisoner of the Lord. So probably Paul was in prison when he wrote that. And Timothy might, might have been a little sheepish to publicly identify with Paul because he might have thought, will they throw me in jail too? He's my mentor. If he's in jail, will I go to jail? So he kind of shies away. And Paul says, Timothy, don't do that. Don't be fearful. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of God's people who might be suffering for the gospel. Because in verse 9, it's God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. So I share that to make this point. The encouragement here, he is, he says in Hebrews, look at Timothy. What about Timothy? Well, he's been in jail. Why is that a good thing? Because obviously something has happened in Timothy from right there in 2 Timothy that I just read to you, where Paul had to say, stop being fearful, stop being ashamed, to the degree he got his act together and he went to jail for Christ. And now in Hebrews he says, but God's not done with him. Look how God's working in his life. God's used Timothy in a mighty way, used him in prison, and now he's being released from prison. He's going to still use Timothy. I think the point for us is he's saying to these people in us who are reading this and studying this today, you can find encouragement to carry on in your Christian life if you will pause and look and see that God is still working in other Christians' lives around you. How is that an encouragement? Because it's proof that God is still working. It's proof that God is still moving in people's lives and he can do it in yours too. He wrote to them to say, hey, I know you're under persecution. I know it's hard to claim Christ as Savior, but take note, church, Timothy, God is working in him. He is working in him in jail and out of jail. I would take that as an encouragement to say, okay, if Timothy can do it, maybe I can too. If God can work through Timothy in prison and out of prison, he can work in me too. If Timothy won't stop, then I won't stop too. God is working in Timothy. He's working in other people's lives. I think that's the encouragement. See how God is working in other people's lives. I read stories of Christians around the world. I subscribe to Voice of the Martyrs. It, it covers Christians that are under persecution, like real physical persecution, usually in third world countries where they're hostile against Christianity. But what amazes me about no matter what story I read, that it always has a similar theme. It ends up with either someone was killed for claiming Jesus and their left behind family. They just leave on this positive note of encouragement. Like, how can they do that? And they usually say something like, I know I'll see them again. And I know God is not done working in my life too because I'm still here on earth. If he can work in someone else's life, he'll work in mine. There's encouragement in that to press on and not quit. The third encouragement he leaves them is be encouraged and remind yourself that your pastors care about you. I think that's what he wanted to know too. Their pastors care about them. Look at the last phrase in verse 23. He tells them about Timothy to encourage them. And then he says this phrase, with whom, meaning with Timothy, I, so this is the writer of this speaking, their pastor, I shall see you if he comes soon. The point here is he was encouraging them, reminding them, making sure they knew, I am coming to you. And I think that's a great encouragement to focus on for this reason. He's their pastor and he's saying to this church, I haven't forgotten you even though I'm not with you physically. I care about you and I'm trying to get to you as fast as I can to be with you physically in your presence to encourage you. God has put pastors in the churches to encourage the church, to shepherd the church of God. The Bible says that's the actual meaning of pastors, to be a shepherd, 
They're to guide the church, grow, see them grow into more Christ-likeness, and how they do that is through the teaching of God's Word, the preaching. But the Bible uses other descriptors such as they shepherd, they feed, they lead, they guide, they care for, they comfort. The heart of a pastor is to be with the church, God's people, because that's where God has placed him. And here he's exhibiting that, saying, be encouraged, church, you have pastors that care about you. That should help them press on to know, hey, we're not alone. Our spiritual leaders have not abandoned us. They're trying to get to us. They're writing to us. They care about us. I would say to you guys, I hope you feel that. It's what I desire you to feel. And I, I know Bruce and Denise, you too. You're pastors here. Man, we care about you. If, if I were to be predisposed for some reason, I would feel like he did. Like, hey, I'm trying to get to you quickly. You may not want me to get to you quickly, but I'm going to try, okay? That's because we care about you. We care about the church. That is what pastors do. God has placed them in a church to be with that flock of God's people. And the encouragement is for you to know that God has given you pastors that do care about you. They want to encourage you. They want to exhort you. They want to teach you and feed you. Because they want to see you be more mature, grow up to be more like Jesus Christ before you get to heaven. Because yes, life is hard, we know that. But this is the encouragement, that we'll all do it together as a body of Christ. The other encouragement he gives is the encouragement to stay united. Verse 24, he says, Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. This word, greet, is typically a common sort of sign-off in a letter for their era. You know, if you've ever written an email, you probably said something like, sincerely, um, or you know, maybe, maybe don't call me again, whatever you might have put, but you ended your letter with sort of a final sign-off. That's kind of their way of doing this. Paul did it too. They'd say something like, you know, hey, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, I greet you too. The word greet, though, means to wish well or to receive someone. In a, in a positive manner. It can mean in a bigger sense, not just a greeting like in a letter, but person to person it would mean, I want to be in your presence. There's fellowship here. We care about one another. We want to be around one another. I, I receive you positively. You receive me positively. That's kind of also behind this term. We're, we're greeting one another. Greeting not just, hey, hello, how are you? It's, no, we're spending time together. Well, here he's using that phrase to say to these people, Take this sermon in written form and now go greet, go wish well on my behalf, he would say, other people. The two groups he calls out are the other leaders. The other leaders would be pastors, church leaders. What was probably the case here that we know from history, they didn't have big church buildings like this yet. They hadn't developed to that point yet in society. What they had was more connected house groups. And these connected house groups sort of made up a church in a city. So he probably wrote this letter to a particular house group church and was saying to them, take this and share it to the other network of house church groups who also have leaders in them. Greet them on my behalf. Then that's this phrase, the, the saints. Well, that's the other Christians. Greet the le other leaders, greet the other Christians. All connected in their church body, though. Well, I think the encouragement here is he's saying this is a tone of he's expressing to them, stay united. The temptation would be in their day with the model they had of sort of a home church group network together. The temptation would be to isolate yourself, to maybe just say, I'm just going to focus on my home church group and that's it. 
And he's saying, no, you're around neighboring church fellowships. Greet them, wish them well, welcome them in the name of the Lord Jesus. Greet their pastors, welcome their pastors. Basically, in layman's terms, be friendly to other Christians and other pastors. Stay united. It's not a competition. It's not us versus them or what do they got going on and why shouldn't we be doing that? No, it's one kingdom, one team for God. And here he's saying, greet everybody else too. Don't just hide this letter for yourself and say, look what we got that they don't know. Give it to them too. Share this truth with them. Share this greeting with them. Stay united. He says, those from Italy greet them. I believe here, he, the writer of this is with a group of people that are from their church home. And he's with this writer and he's saying, hey, your fellow brothers and sisters from your church home, they're with me, they greet you too. So again, this idea of I'm greeting you, greet the other pastors, greet the other churches, these other Christians greet you too. This tone of stay together, stay united. It's one team, it's one mission, one team. It's a team sport, not an individual competition. Paul in Philippians says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, here's what he asked for of the church at Philippi. Complete my joy. So, mind you, what I'm about to read, he's saying, as a pastor, as a church leader, how can you complete my joy? By being of the same mind. That's just called being united. Be of the same mind. Having the same love. Being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition, conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That was his encouragement. How do we carry on as Christians? We have to do it together. We have to be united. Even church to church, for me, pastor to pastor, for you, other brothers and sisters, not even of this congregation, but you know that they're faithful in the Lord, greet them, wish them well. It's a, it's a unity. The next encouragement he gives is to let them know the final one here. I love this one. It's the final phrase of the entire letter, how he just signs the whole thing off. He says, be encouraged that God's grace is with you. So the encouragement that God's grace is with them. Verse 25 simply reads, grace be with all of you. Grace be with all of you. The word grace means God's favor. Not just God's favor, but some people describe it as God's unmerited favor. That means you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. God just gave it to you. Why? Because he wanted to. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. You didn't beg him. He just said, I love you. Here's my grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It can mean goodwill bestowed upon a person, freely given from God. So it's when God sort of shines his blessings down on you. just because he cares about you. Because he wants to show goodwill to you. He was saying to them, sort of a, a little mini prayer, my prayer is that God's favor will be with you all. God's blessings will be with you all. May God express goodwill to you all. I love this phrase though, because he's saying to them as a final encouragement, not just a wish, I think he's affirming to them, God's grace, I'm praying it will be with you, but I want you to know it is with you. It is with you now, and it will be with you in the future. It's a wish he has for them, but he knows that it will happen. It's already happening. But he wanted them to know it too. That for them to press on, to carry on, they need God's grace. But he's saying, God's already given it to you and he will continue to give you his grace. God's grace is and will be with them. It will be with you as his child. 
Grace is going before you, some have said. I like that phrase. I don't remember where I heard it, but I heard that there's this idea of grace is going behind you, grace is going before you. Wherever you've gone, God's already been there preparing the way with His grace. Wherever you've, whatever you've come out of, you can look back and say, God's grace was with me, getting through that. God's grace is and will be with you. In Romans 5, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, you could say it another way, by faith we have been declared forgiven and made righteous before God through Jesus Christ. Paul says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what I want to draw your attention to. Through Jesus we have also obtained access by faith. So through faith you get access to something. And Paul says what you have access to is you have access by faith into God's grace in which you stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I share that with you just to illustrate again. He ends this entire letter with grace be with you. It will be with you. It is with you. And you have Paul saying in Romans 5.1, if you're here and you're a child of God because you have expressed genuine heartfelt faith in Jesus as your Savior, you know beyond shadow of a doubt, I am forgiven of my sins. The blood of Jesus has cleansed me of my sins. I am not righteous, but he has made me righteous because he's righteous. He's given me his righteousness and he's paid my sin debt. By faith, if that's true, then Paul says, guess what? It's as if you're standing in a pool of God's grace. It's just all around you. You're in God's grace everywhere. Now, to be fair, your life may have times you don't feel like that. You may have situations you say, man, I don't feel like God has got any kind of favor on me right now. Because I've got this going on or that, and, and it's terrible. That may be true. But even through that, if what he says is true, and I know it is, even through that terrible situation, you have to have in your mind as a believer, it's bad right now, but God's doing something with this. And through that, he will reveal his grace to me in some way. And I'll be able to look back and say, look how God worked. Look what God did through this cancer or this tragedy, this whatever. You can't doubt God's grace is with you. And it will always be with you. Those are the encouragements he gives his people. He says, hey, endure preaching. It can be hard, but endure it. That's what God's designed for churches to have is for pastors to explain the word of God so they'll grow. Be encouraged that God's working in others and that can be proof he'll work in you too. God's not done working. Pastors care about you. Stay united and God's grace is with you. Be with you always until we're in heaven. And then we don't need God's grace because we're in his presence. We'll, we'll have seen God's grace in reality, in person. I hope you've enjoyed the letter of Hebrews. I, I have. I, don't, I hope you have. I really mean that. I know it's challenging. It's been difficult. Um, but I like how he ends, and I just want to remind us and end on that. Grace be with you all in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you know him as your Savior. You know his grace personally. Only through Jesus can you be forgiven and have God's grace in your life. I'm going to come down now and give us a time to reflect and pray as Bruce and them will lead us in a final song of invitation. Would you join me in standing? And as you stand, I'll pray. And that's my ask of myself and you. Just ask God to search your heart. Say, Lord, what areas maybe have I been down, feel beat down, I've lost hope, so to speak, 
feel like I can't carry on. But God, would you encourage me with these encouragements that no matter what, you're with me. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for the Bible to know your thoughts, your mind, so that we can grow closer to you and live for you. And thank you for the book of Hebrews that we've been able to walk through to just see the glory and the beauty of Jesus in all his splendor for all that he's done for us. And Lord, as the letter end, grace be with you all. I ask, Lord, that you would shine your grace on every person here this morning in this building. Would you shine your grace on them in such a way that this week they would specifically just feel us grace, that they would they really never doubted that you're really with doubted that you're really with them. Would this week change and they would just feel it and know that you really are with them despite whatever is going on. If anyone is struggling to press on, would you remind them? them? They have pastors that care about them, spiritual leaders that care about them. They have the word of God and grow, grow. That they have other brothers and sisters to help rally around them, to stay united with them. And that your grace will never leave them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.